Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Appreciate you tuning in. We've got a really exciting guest for you today. Before we dive into the bio, I just want to remind everyone All of our episodes are on our YouTube channel. If you are not subscribed, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you prefer to see our faces versus listening to our voices, you get the best of both worlds there, listening to our voices and getting to see our faces. So today we are speaking with Vikram Diol. This is going to be a great show. This guy's got a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. He's a serial entrepreneur. He started nine different businesses in his career. He started his first one when he was a teenager from an experience that he had from his father not giving him enough lunch money and had to make up the difference. And you're going to hear all about his journey, his path, his failures, the challenges in his life, and how he brought wellness and spirituality into his business. It's going to be a great episode. I'm really looking forward to chatting with Vikram. Vikram, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. look forward to talking to you today. Brian, I so passionate about this topic. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you accepting me to be a guest on your show because I do believe that the American dream isn't a white pickup fence. The American dream is being an entrepreneur. I couldn't possibly agree more. It took me a long time to figure that out. It took me over two <laughs> decades to figure that out. It didn't take you long. So that's a good segue into the show. We were talking a little bit offline. You've had the entrepreneurial spirit since you were a teenager. So Go into that a little bit and then you know, give us the little background and then we'll talk about what you're doing now because you've done a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sometimes it feels like I'm, I'm at ground zero and it's constantly being attacked by red ants and spiders <laughs> and you know, Russia and Ukraine all at the same time. But I got into entrepreneurialism. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is now. And as a kid, you know, my dad would come home. He was a doctor. He got a job at a practice and then the doctor was retiring and he bought it. And so as far as I could remember, my dad was an entrepreneur. My grandparents were entrepreneurs and they were always the boss. I liked that idea of being able to be the boss. It just always seemed appropriate to me. And in high school, my parents had sent us to boarding school in India for a couple of years. And we came back. And when we were in high school, my dad said, here's $2 a day for lunch. And I was like, dad, lunch is two fifty. He said, figure it out. And I ran into a kid that I knew when I was in fourth and fifth grade. And he was sitting outside of a movie theater. And I should have known better. My mom should have known better. And she should have kept driving the car, but she stopped. I started talking to the kid and I didn't have any friends when we got back. So he became my friend. He was, you know, a bad apple, smart kid, bad apple. And we started to sell weed because I mean, money didn't grow on trees, but it actually did grow on trees because we were selling stuff right off of trees. So we found this little guy on the East side and we had this whole operation where we had to keep tabs of supply and we had to, you know, front people money and 
there was distribution channels and we had other people that were part of our program. And, you know, we had this small operation. I mean, it was quite large, actually, but it was small in the sense, but we ran a business where we had product and we had services and we had clients and we had collections and we had theft. And, you know, sometimes the theft was from mom coming into the garage while we were weighing out our bags of of weed and she would (laughs) steal it and burn it in the barbecue. And it was our first journey into entrepreneurialism because I saw at that age, I was like, wow, you can make a ton of money. Now let's figure out a way to do it legally. Because I mean, I didn't like rolling around town with, you know, bags of marijuana in our backpack as kids. It was a little scary as a 15 year old going to the East side or going into houses where they had swastikas on their, you know, on their garage doors and buying stuff from people who you don't know. And I'm this little nerdy Indian kid wearing Tommy Hilfiger shirts and (laughs) glasses. But I knew that that was going to be my lifelong path where I wasn't going to be, I say it's a slave to somebody else. And don't get me wrong. I have team members and I love them to death, but I knew that that wasn't my path. And from there, I started to sell co-knives. I was one of the youngest branch managers for Cutco. And I loved selling knives. I made a ton of money selling knives, but I loved at 18 years old, having 47 representatives underneath me that I got to train and I got to see their growth and I got to see their success. And there were literally everybody was older than me. And that was my journey of like, ooh, I want to teach people how to do what I do so well, but I want to learn it and then teach it, learn it and then teach it. And from there, I did get a job after college. You know, that was what people do. You go to college, get a job. So my dad said, get a job. And I was 22 and I said, okay. So I got a job at a commercial leasing company and I had a job selling cars too. And I love cars, but both of those jobs I failed at. And I wouldn't say I failed, but I didn't excel at because I didn't like the process, even mm-hmm. though I liked some of the products. You know, we're selling Mercedes. Who doesn't like a S65 AMG or whatever model they had back then? And I didn't like how people were treated in the finance department. I didn't like how people were treated with used cars. I didn't like how people were treated when, you know, the sale was over. It was just like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I just didn't love being told to show up on a Sunday every week of the month, because I was like, this isn't life. Like this is slavery. And I, you know, after about six months in the car business and six months in the corporate America leasing world, I've never gone back. Like that was enough time for me to realize that I didn't want to do it. And then in high school, I had asked my parents for a raise and they had six kids. Three of us worked at the pizza place. Hmm. Two of them were on payroll that sat at the bar top, didn't do anything. One of them worked, which was me. And when I asked for a 50 cent raise back in 1999, my dad said, no. And I said, I quit and I'm going to go work for this knife company. He's like, that's stupid. And my little chip on my shoulder, you know, I made 11,000 or $12,000 that month or that summer and, you know, two and a half months as a 17 year old. And this is a 99 when 10 to $15,000 as a kid was a crap load of money. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was you like could actually buy a car still for that amount of money. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I was like, dad, I make, you know, a thousand dollars a month with you guys. I work my butt off. I'm mm-hmm. constantly the only kid that you have that actually works. I, I know how to run the whole store. When you guys go out of town, you leave the keys with me. My friends and I would drink. We loved closing because we'd get drunk for free because we're you know, they had 17 beers on tap. So we would have a lot of fun closing, tossing pizzas, but 
I was like, dad, you're not going to give me a 50 cent raise. Like, like you pay two kids that don't do anything and I can't get a 50 cent raise. And he said, no. And I said, fine, I quit. So yeah. it was kind of cool to like quit your parents' job and like go out and do your own thing. Yeah. A couple of turning points for you. If I, I wrote down, uh, you know, your dad said, Hey, <laughs> figure out the 50 cent deficit on the lunch money there. And then, you know, he wouldn't give you the 50 cent raise. So there's something with 50 cents there that really kind of pushed you over the edge. But I, would I say think that he likes the rapper. I think I should send him the CD of the rapper 50 cent and be like, yo dad, this was your 50 cent was the start of my entrepreneurial career. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. So you started somewhat around nine businesses, right? Maybe talk about the Something first like one that. that you started. So, I mean, the first one was 18. I was a branch manager for Cutco Knives. I had to go out and find my own office space. I had to do my own marketing. Back then the internet wasn't a thing. So we were placing flyers at cars. We were sending mailers to the rich kids' neighborhoods. It was all plug and play from Cutco. They basically set you up with the mailer program, but I had to go out and probably, I don't know if I went to Kinko's or where, but I had to go out and you know print the flyers. We would recruit the team members that we had already recruited to go out and help us put flyers on cars. I didn't really love that part of the job because yeah. I didn't really, you know, like who wants to door knock or put flyers out. So I didn't love that part of the job, but I did it enough that we got to 47 reps. I had to hire a receptionist. I hired this lady and everybody who showed up, Brian was a man. And I'm like, why is everybody men? Like, where's all the women? I didn't know, but she was a phone sex operator at night. And so one day I'm like, Hey, how come only men come? How come they all want to meet you? Like what's going on? And she goes, Oh, well, I'm a phone sex operator at night. So I know how to talk to men really well to make them show up. And I'm like, Oh my God. So all the guys wanted to meet her and see what she looked like because on the phone, she sounded really seductive Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the women didn't love her. So I had to hire a second person so that I would get more girls to show up to the interviews. Cause I was like, Hey, we're spending a lot of time and money. We can't just have a bunch of dudes. So like, you know, I had to hire people. I had to go out and get, I think a permit, right. You know, all like set up bank accounts, paint the business. It was just a really dumpy place in Venice when Venice wasn't Venice. I remember the highlight of my day was that I got, right. I was talking to my manager and I got a building space in the hustler building right next to Larry Flint's office, but there wasn't any parking in the building. So I had to say no to that, but it was like, super cool that we were in the same building as such a big company. And we were able to get them to say yes to us for, you know, a three month period in my budget in Beverly Hills. But I went with the other one because it was better parking. <laughs> and so funny. I had, so I had to make the decision as an 18 year old, Hey, do we go for the swanky business with no parking? Or do we go for the business that's got 30 spots? And we went with obviously the one that parking was more readily available. So, you know, we really had to know our numbers. We did weekly meetings. We did weekly reportings. We went to conferences, right? I had to keep my team organized and assembled. And, you know, that 47 people, we had the second highest rep average in sales out of 200, 300 offices of people that were, you know, much older than me, 19 to 26. And the only reason why we weren't number one is because we had a couple of big sales fall out at the back of the month. And so another team beat us by a little bit more. And he was also selling to his market was a little bit better than ours. I don't use that as an excuse. It's just, you know, he had a higher sales price, higher median home value. And so people could afford more money. 
that was my first true journey into a legit business bank accounts permits you know having to get your business license all yeah. going to the city like the whole shebang and it's the same then as it is today now people just have to protect themselves a little bit more with their finances you know because if you've left corporate america after 15 years you have a house you have cars you have stocks you have real estate potentially so you need to be a little bit more careful and you should talk to an accountant and an attorney about the best you know corporation set up for you based off of your assets. Totally. That's great advice. Vikram, what are some of the challenges or the biggest challenges you've had in your various businesses? And I know you have some, how did you overcome them? Give a story or two. Yeah. You know, when we were kids, we were in sixth grade, our parents sent us to a boarding school in India and that wasn't the big deal, but the school they sent us to was a really crappy school. And our cousins were there and our cousins called their parents up to like, get us out of this school. And our I saw my cousins leave the school because it was so bad. And our parents were like, my dad was like, no, it's fine. It's fine. I was like, dad, you've actually seen the school. It's a dump. Like there's no running water. The, the field is like rocks and pebbles. It's just nasty, right? It's just nasty. It was not what we were sold when we got on the plane. And, you know, he wanted to make my older brother happy because there was a bunch of Americans there at the school that were like, you know, the parents had sent them there for whatever reason. And we would throw money down to the local kids and then we'd give them a tip when they sent us dumplings back. So they would throw dumplings back up to us from our dorm. We would tip them so they didn't steal from us. And I learned in sixth grade about resilience. And I learned that as much as your family loves you, I didn't realize the lessons until many years of therapy later. I didn't realize it, but we are responsible for our own success and we are responsible for our own happiness. And really, even as children, to an extent, we are responsible for our survival. And I learned it in a much different way. And my parents weren't bad people. They just, you know, didn't make the best decisions like every parent out there. And it taught me at a young age that you have to be resilient and you have to take care of yourself. And, you know, my dad saying, hey, I'm only going to give you $2 or I'm not going to give you a 50 cent raise. You know, that just taught me like, okay, this is just how it is. Even the people who love you the most are the people who can sometimes hurt you the most too. Yeah. And so as you get into business, you realize that people aren't necessarily malicious. That's just their background. It's their upbringing. And we're overly optimistic, right? As entrepreneurs, we're overly optimistic. We think it's going to be easier than what it is. And that's what actually allows us to do the hard work of opening up a business. Because let me tell you, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And so having that resilience built into me as a kid and knowing that I have to fend for myself, I believe has given me the strength to endure. And you have to have, you know, Brian, I think one of the biggest things that I'm learning is that what you think you can do in a year will probably take three. And what you think you can do in three years might take one, right? Yeah. So it's totally different of what you think you're capable of doing. And you think you're going to start things out. You're going to, you know, you're charismatic, you're fun, people like you, you think it's going to be easy. And it typically is a lot harder. And you think some of the things that are going to be hard typically tend to be easy. And you have to have like a five-year look, like you got to think about, this is going to take me five years. This is going to take me 10 years. Like where will I be at in a decade, right? Maybe I have to eat crow for five years. Maybe we don't take that, you know, that new boat and we keep the one that we already have. Maybe we don't buy the new five bedroom house and we stay in the three bedroom and we remodel it, right? We make choices. 
people call them sacrifices. I just call them choices, right? Because it's my decision what I do. But in five years down the road, if you stay on path, if you stay on track, your life will never be the same. Most people quit after two years or three years because it's hard, right? They don't have systems. They don't have planning. They don't have training, right? I got to see my coach who I've been coaching with for 10 years. I was telling my team this, and I host a call at the 5 a.m. call every Tuesday. And my mentor who started this call about seven years ago, I've been hosting it on Tuesdays for about four years now, every Tuesday. I was telling them today, I said, I got to see the most cool thing this year. And they go, I got to see my mentor and coach as a student. And I got to see him being coached by his coaches. And it was so cool because it's a person that I have complete admiration for. He exited a business for, I think he's ever disclosed the price to me, but it's somewhere between three to $5 billion, you know, between him and his partners, that was their exit. The business was doing, you know, four or $500 million a year in revenue. So, you know, you take that and you figure out the math on it. You can do the math. Yeah. He's a venture capitalist. He's partners in 15, 20 businesses. And I got to see him as a student and Brian, seeing him be coached was like the most humbling thing I've ever seen. And I got to hear stories that made him uncomfortable. And, you know, watching that reminded me of like, okay, you're in the right path because even the person who exited for, I don't even know how many figures is that, what, 10 digits? Yeah. Being coached by other people was like, oh man, it brings tears to my eyes watching. And I remember when he invited me to it, the call, he's like, hey, are you going to be here at this event? And I was like, yeah. He's like, cool. I can't wait to see you. And I'm like, wait, you're going to be there? He's like, Vic, of course I'm going to be there. That's my coach. So I'm inviting you. And I was like, that's so crazy that my coach has a coach and he's like a billionaire or pretty damn, like, I don't know where he's at in his life financially, but way more than I am. And that humbling experience was like, wow, we all get help. That's a great and, share. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's that resilience and it's that, you know, if you going back to what your question was, it's resilience and it's also the ability to be humble and learn from others always. Love it. Love I think it. Those are two things that entrepreneurs, it's like when you go to flip a house, you do the inside, but you forget to keep enough money for landscaping. And it's the same thing. When you become an entrepreneur, you do everything to get the business up and running, but you don't leave enough money left over in the coffers for marketing and education. And so then you're trying to do everything on your own and it takes way longer. I love that you brought up coaching and I mean, the story of, you know, your billionaire coach, having a coach just, you know, really resonates with me. And, you know, I spent most of my life without having a coach and things didn't start to change for me until I got a coach. And now I have multiple coaches. <laughs> I will never, ever be without one again. Maybe expand on, it sounds like your pro coach, maybe talk about what that's done for you and how that's moved the needle in your life and your business. You know, I was blessed at 17. Again, I go back to a lot of the experience I had at Cutco, but my manager slash coach said, do what I tell you and you'll have plenty of success. So he said, learn the script. I learned the script. He said, make the calls. I made the calls. He said, create the list of people to call. I created the list of people to call. He said, don't worry about learning this, learn these 17 pages, but start with these four and you'll be good to go. I said, great. I learned exactly what he told me because he had the Honda Prelude and the pretty girlfriend and the nice suit back in 99. And I'm like, I want the Honda Prelude and the pretty girlfriend and the suits and ties. 
and I want to do what you're doing. And so I just followed his path. And then I went to school, which I think college is a complete champ. I think you need to learn how to read and write and do math. Other than that, I think college, unless you're going to be like a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, I personally think it's just a, an atrocious waste of time and money, but that's me. You do you boo. And I have a, you know, I have a master's degree and all that crap, but I don't think I learned really much there. Now, if you go to school and you make a bunch of great contacts and you leverage that, that's a smart play. But I think college is a little washed out compared to what it could be or what it used to be. And I stopped coaching and I got married. You know, I always had managers and mentors and I got married. We got into real estate. We started flipping houses. Things were, you know, 2008 and nine. So it was an interesting time to get into real estate. And then I started going through a divorce and I knew that the writing was on the wall. So I knew that money was going to be tight. And I started selling real estate. That was kind of like my long-term vision was my uncle made billions of dollars. He started out by selling real estate. I'll start out by selling real estate. And so I started selling houses and I remember going to a conference and I met this coach. I met Ryan Serhant actually, who Mm. for a million dollar listing. And I was like, oh my God, you're so like, you're so approachable what would be the number one tip? He's like, how long have you been in sales for? And I was, you know, 30 years old, 29 years old, 30. I said, you know, maybe six months. He's like, oh, wow, you're really young. He's like, go hire a coach. I'm like, what does that even mean? I was like, I didn't even know there was real estate coaches. He's like, bro, walk around the event, go introduce yourself to five or six companies. They're all over this event floor and go see which one resonates with you. And I was like, okay. And I went and I met a bunch of people and I gave a bunch of people my phone number and I found an organization that I liked. And I came home and I told my ex-wife, I said, Hey, I'm going to hire a coach. And she looked at me like I was talking alien. And she's like, you are the dumbest bleep, bleep, bleep ever. (laughs) And I'm like, what? She's like, you think we have money to just go hire a coach? And I'm like, uh, Ryan, sir, I don't give a F who that is. I was like, okay. So that was the end of that conversation. The next day, I we were living in this little house in Bellevue, Washington that we rented. And I had a private office in there. So I shut the door and I lock it. And I don't know what Spidey sense she has, but she starts knocking on the door. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? And the lady who's taking my credit card is on the other line. You know, These are like big old solid doors. And she's like, is everything okay at home? I'm like, oh yeah, it's just my ex-wife. She's having a little bit of a bad day right now. She's like, it sounds like you're going to get murdered. Do you want to like call me back? I'm like, no, here's my credit card. Take the money, pay for it. Send me the agreement. I'm in. And I remember coming out of the house. Like I remember coming out of the bedroom thinking I was going to get murdered. And I almost did, but I hired my first coach under distress yeah. <laughs> as a realtor. And from there, I had a coach almost the entire time of selling real estate. I wish I would have hired a therapist earlier in my career. Why do you say but, that? Are you being facetious? Or, or no, 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 no. Yeah. I have a therapist on speed dial. You know, I have a hypnotherapist that I've talked to for over a year now, almost twice a month, if not four times a month. I've done therapy prior to that. I was a Tony Robbins platinum partner for a year, mm. which is basically like a ton of therapy. But I wish I would have hired a therapist and been more consistent with them when I was in my 20s and 30s, because we all have childhood trauma and we carry it with us. And that money trauma that I had, where my dad said, basically, I'm not worth 50 cents, or my dad would fly first class and we'd sit in the back of the plane 
I didn't feel worthy of being in the front of the plane, or he would say, I don't have money for stuff. And then he would go buy something that same day that was 10 times more expensive. It all triggered back to me that I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know, a good kid. Like why you would send us to this crappy school. And I wish I would have unpacked that and realized that my dad has trauma too. Yeah. And he's doing the best that he knows how to do being who he is. And he's Indian. Like he grew up in India. His dad was in the military. He was a colonel. Like he didn't have the option of even thinking about those types of things. And I wish I would have just started unpacking it instead of like in my mid thirties, in my mid twenties, because I left a seven figure business because I didn't feel worthy. I built my real estate business. We're doing seven figures, multiple years in a row. And I just cold Turkey shut it down one day. Like it was just like, I went to jail because of it. I had a drinking problem. I was, you know, just wasn't a great person. And so I shut it down. So coaching is one thing, but if your coach doesn't have an experience with personal matters, if they're really good with numbers and systems and KPIs and strategies, like that's awesome. Keep them around, but get a therapist as well, because they're going to help you. And they're super cheap compared to good coaches, like a couple hundred bucks an hour versus a coach could run thousands of dollars an hour if they're worth anything. I love that you brought that up. I just love that you brought that up. So thanks for being vulnerable and sharing. I see a therapist as well. Wish I would have done it much sooner. It's amazing what happens, (laughs) the stuff that happens in our childhood that we carry for so long, right? And we don't really know how to interpret it. So valuable lesson. I appreciate you sharing that. And you know, it's a, as men too, you know, I don't know if you felt this way. I was just like, I don't need that. You know, yes. I don't, I don't, I don't need anybody's help. I got it all figured out. You know, I'm, I'm a man, you know, I, yeah. and, and it's Be a tough. mistake. It's a mistake. Don't cry. Be tough. Right. Right. So awesome stuff. Men don't, men don't share feelings. All those idiosyncrasies crap. That's all it is. That's all it is. We have feelings. We're human beings too. And you know, the blood flows through the, I love, I love well. a great, I love a great cry session every now and then. All right, good. This is good. This is going a different direction. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to cry here, but no, that's important. It's important to be vulnerable. Give me another 45 minutes with you, Brian. I will unleash and unpack some stuff with you and, and you'll feel like a whole new person, but that's not what this calls about. <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's important that we ask for help in all areas of our life, mental, yeah. physical, emotional, spiritual. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. What are you doing now? Tell the listeners what you're up to now. You got a real estate business and are you doing, you're in real estate, but you're doing some coaching as well. So tell us what a day in the life looks like. A day in the life of Vikram. That's a scary question to ask me. (laughs) You know, I'm very disciplined, but I got out of real estate in 2018. I shut, like I said, I shut down my business. We were doing 50, $60 million a year in sales. I was pretty hands-off at that point. I created enough system structure and I had a great team, but like I said, the, the worthiness wasn't there. I wanted to go home and fix our relationship with the family. I thought getting out of Seattle was important. You know, I spent some time in jail. I went through a divorce. I had an employee steal from me. And I was like, three strikes, you're out. And I didn't love being in Seattle. I didn't like the culture of Seattle at the point that it was going. I didn't like the way that the business climate was. So I decided to move back to California, which is even, I was like, wait, I went from one place. I don't like the business climate to another place. I don't like the business climate too, but my family is in California and somehow or the other, my dad talked me into opening up a business with him in the wellness space. And it wasn't the business that was, we weren't meant to be in business. We were meant to be in healing and through a very painful relationship, we healed ourselves and the family. And it wasn't because they changed. It's because I changed my outlook on them. And I got into 
coaching. And I wanted to coach people like Tony Robbins because he had such a profound impact on my life. And that's what, you know, as a kid, I used to jump on the jumping board while my mom would tell me, you know, all of her stories and traumas and things that she needed to deal with. So I, you know, my friends would always come to me for help and advice. So I knew that I had an ability to tap into the ethers and I knew I had a way to tap into the aspects that, you know, that's why I say, give me 45 minutes, some time for some questions and we'll unpack a lot of stuff that might make you cry because people open up to me in ways that they say, I can't believe I'm telling you this stuff. And when I left real estate, I always wish that, cause I asked my real estate coach about what should I do with the business and how I was feeling. And he never had a good answer because he didn't know because he was just a great real estate coach. Like he was great at, Hey, you need to learn the script. Hey, you need to do this. Hey, you need to do that. But when it came to my emotional aspects about how I felt and how my family was and all that, it wasn't like, Hey, go get a therapist. Cause he had never had a therapist. It wasn't like, Hey, this is what you should do because I've been through it and I've worked through it. And I've gone through the trainings and the seminars and the courses. And I realized that there was a holistic approach missing from the business world. And I realized that everybody who I knew, my uncle, right. I called my rich dad, my mentor at the time who I didn't realize how spiritual he was. I realized that they all had a huge spiritual component to their business. They meditated, they journaled, right? They had a routine to get them out of the grind. Some of them went to church. Some of them just stayed at home and meditated. They all believed in something higher and bigger than themselves. And that felt really good to me. I don't need to go to a church or a temple or a mosque or anything like that to be spiritual, but I just, I believe there's a higher power. I believe there's something greater out there. I believe that we are spiritual beings that come through this life. And I wanted to bring that to the real estate world for my clients, because I always felt like when I would go to certain conferences, it was kind of a size up, right? It was like, Hey, how many deals have you done? Oh, I've done 50. Oh, I did 300. I'm like, yeah, but my average price went six times yours. So I did more volume and I made more money. And it was like, you know, just swinging your trunk around showing off. And I didn't like that after a while. And I didn't feel good about it. And it didn't make me excited and it didn't make me feel good. And I wanted to bring in an element of like, Hey, let's go look at crystals and let's go talk about meditation. And let's go talk about if you get called to do a plant ceremony Mm -hmm. to heal some trauma, let's go talk about that. Or, you know, let's talk about therapy. Or if you're having families with your relationship, go listen to Alison Armstrong or Byron Katie or all these different resources that I had spent so many hundreds of thousands of dollars to be around these people to learn from. I wanted to bring that back to the people that I knew were struggling because it's such an ego driven business, right? Like if you see real estate agents, they go, I closed another house. And I'm like, so what, who cares? Like tell them about the client's story. So I fought it for a really long time again, because of my ego, but I finally got into coaching real estate agents about seven months ago, really hardcore full time. And I realized that there's such a need for the spiritual component within coaching. So yes, we've built a team that was awesome and it was great. And that was exciting to take people that, you know, were not doing well in life and giving them six figure opportunities. And that felt great, but it also felt great to, it feels better to be able to help people on a much larger scale. And even though right now I don't make as much money as I did selling real estate, I know that I'm looking at the short term, the five year, the seven year, the 10 year, right? I know the money's going to be there, but I also know that my clients are going to be so much healthier, right? Because they're not going to just be about, you know, oh, I 
triple X my business. It's I triple X my business. I have date night with my husband. Here's why it's important. I have a spiritual routine. My kids meditate with us. Like we do all these different things and I'm not losing my hair anymore. I've lost 30 pounds. I feel great. I smell great. I look great. My you know, spouse and I have sex again. Like our, my kids talk to me again, right? That's what's exciting to me is that we get to do all of it because it's not a, but it's an and it's like, we can do this and we can do that. And we can do that. And we can do this. And we can be like this. Like, oh my God, that's impossible. Like I thought that was impossible. I like that aspect of it. So I do group coaching. And then for people who want a little bit more special one-on-one attention, I do some one-on-one coaching as well with some very limited slots from my coach based off of my energy levels and time. I love it. So you've clearly found your calling and, you know, something you're passionate about and you're helping people and, you know, feeling good is just as important or more important than having a good looking bank account. None of that that matters if you don't feel good, right? Money solves money problems. That's what money does. Money solves money problems, but it doesn't solve your emotional being. So if your emotions are broken, if you have money relationship issues, you know, if you grew up in a household like ours, where we didn't talk about money in a positive, it was like, oh, we don't talk about money, right? Then you're going to have money. Potentially you're going to have money issues because you never talked about it. So you don't know how to express it. And so being able to give people an outlet that's safe is really important to me. And then giving them the structure so that they don't, you know, I mean, how many people out there chase the shiny object, right? It's not just realtors. It's all business owners chase shiny objects. So teaching people that you don't need to chase the shiny object, you need to stick in a lane for enough time for you to get to the destination. And then you go to the next lane and then you go to the next lane. But most people, they, Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Hey, do this. Hey, do that. So, you know, another tip of advice is don't listen to every guru go deep on one person instead of wide. So spend 30 days listening to Brian's stuff, right? Go and listen to all of your content and then spend 30 days listening to my stuff and then spend 30 days listening to, you know, whoever X, Y, Z thousands of gurus, but spend enough time with one person that you become intimately knowledgeable about their process and then go to another person and then go to another person. But it'd be like jumping from one team to another. And you never give yourself enough time to get to know the quarterback. I've heard so many high performers say that exact same thing. (laughs) And it's true. It's true. You do need to do it because, you know, the brain is looking for distractions, right? So it's looking for those shiny objects. It's hard to avoid sometimes, myself included, but I agree with everything that you said. And and I don't know why money is such a taboo topic. I mean, it's been, it was when I was growing up, you didn't, nobody talked about it. It's under your business. You know, how much do you earn? How much the house? Why do you need to know that? And then, you know, you start regurgitating it to your kids and it's like, wait a second. No, it's okay to talk about this. And it is. Well, we're not allowed to talk about money, sex, politics, or religion. And then we're supposed to go out and make money, have sex, have a political opinion and have a spiritual practice when we weren't allowed to talk about them as children. Or if we didn't agree with our parents, they would shut us down because that's how they were brought up. And, you know, we wonder why the world's in so much turmoil now is because nobody talked about money. Nobody talked about religion. Nobody talked about spirituality. Nobody talked about fitness and finances, right? Nobody talked about how to have a good relationship. And all of a sudden it's like, my parents are like, all right, well, you're of that age. Let's go find you a wife and get you married. And I'm like, I grew up watching fuzzy porn and that was my teacher of sex. Like we never talked about this stuff. I was told that don't worry about money. My dad, I'd say, dad, how much money did you make as a kid? He's like, don't worry about it. 
Okay. Yeah. So I never worried about money. I never worried about finances. Like, and then I wonder why as an adult, I still tend to go back to those bad habits with money because we never were allowed to express ourselves around it. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Awesome. Couldn't agree that's more. We all need it. That's why Brian, we have therapists because we want to have better quality of lives for ourselves and our family. We need to understand all this stuff that we were told when we were children. <laughs> where can we learn more about you, Vikram? Where can we go? Yeah. Instagram coach Vikram Diol, V-I-K-R-A-M-D-E-O-L. And you can find me on TikTok, which is where I'm spending a lot of time. I would say a social media tip, your brand is your invisible hand. TikTok isn't just for dancing kids. It's actually the growing, fastest growing demographic is people 30 plus. So I would say go, if you're not on TikTok, y'all get on TikTok and start building your personal brand because we are in the middle of a market shift. This is going to launch in 60 days. We're at July 20th right now. 60 days, we're going to be in a full-blown recession. We're already in the start of a recession, but we're going to be in a full-blown recession. It's probably going to last 18 to 24 months, maybe a little bit longer. Go build your personal brand, you all, because the people who build their brand are the people who are going to win. And so join me on TikTok, Coach Vikram Diol as well. And what I'll do, Brian, for your listeners is I created a little PDF with a video that I shared my 11 tips on. That kind of helped me get through a shifting market in 2008. Mm -hmm. And these tips are, you know, they're real estate related, but they apply to, you know, 95% of the tips apply to all business owners. So I will throw that to you. And, you know, if your listeners want to get in front of me, they can go to Instagram and book a private jam session with me. And, you know, that'll be the second option. Private jam session. I like yes, that. Yes, sir. I like that. <laughs> That's I don't like, to, I don't like working, but I love jamming with people. Yeah. I Work love the overrated. advice about building the personal brand. I couldn't agree more. I avoided TikTok for a long time and I'm on it and I agree with what you said. So get out there and, you know, show your face. You guys, you only look, if you don't like your face, guess what? Somebody else does. And if you don't like your voice, guess what? If you have one friend you talk to on the phone, they like it enough to listen to you. So you got people that like your face and you got people that like your voice get out there. It sucks at first. You're going to be crappy, but anything worth doing well is worth being really chunky at first. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Awesome. Anything before we wrap up that I didn't, that you wanted to share any final thoughts, anything that I didn't ask you? You know, I mean, this is such a, God, the time flew so fast. I love yeah. talking. <laughs> I would say if you guys, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, a recession is a great time to do it. It's actually the best time to do it. A lot of big brands that are still around now started during the recession, started during a down market. I would ask you when you were in college or when you're in high school or when you got out of college and you thought about what you were going to do in life, think about how much they're paying you to basically be their slave, their puppet. Because right now we're going to see layoffs. We're going to see weird things in the market. It's just the writing's on the wall. If you haven't, if you didn't see it when they started printing trillions of dollars and you, you were asleep at the wheel, because I knew the minute they were giving money out to people to stay at home and sit at the pool and drink Trulies and people were making more money then than they were making at their jobs. I was like, oh boy, we're in for some tough times ahead, which is cool. Like we can navigate it. Remember good times don't last. Tough people do. Everything's cyclical. So what goes up must come down. What goes down must come up. So we will get through this however long it takes. And just remember, the company has no loyalty to you at the end of the day, because if they need to cut you, they're going to cut you. So why not go after your dreams? 
because you are just a slave to somebody else. And you might be, they might be treating you super well and they might pay you a lot of money and you might have great stock options, but you can take that experience and you can bring it into what you want to do and what you're passionate about and start, right? The only way to become different is to take that first step and do it and do it with fear, but just do it. And if you do it, your life will change and it'll be tough. I won't lie to you. It's going to be tough, but gosh, is it so effing worth it at the end of the day? Wow. That was a great close. That was a great final thought. I have nothing to add other than that's just tremendous. <laughs> I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your story. We need to hear this. We need to hear this stuff. And just thank you for your time, for being on and for being vulnerable. Everyone, make it a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W2 Prison Break. Here's to busting you out.